This month's podcasts are sponsored by Aubergine Legal. Do you sometimes worry that your business isn't meeting all its legal compliance requirements and wonder if you're ticking all the legal boxes? Are you losing sleep worrying about a piece of legislation that you may or may not be complying with? Perhaps you need some help with your client contracts or your data protection compliance. Or maybe you're worried that your website doesn't have the right documents or legal notices in the right place. Perhaps you have a brand that you want to protect with a trademark. How about if you could outsource it all and eliminate all of your worries? If so, then get in touch with Aubergine Legal, a friendly commercial legal consultancy offering practical and clear commercial legal advice without the overwhelming legal jargon, taking the worry away and helping you to protect your business and minimise your risks. Aubergine offers a free 30-minute consultation if you have any questions or want to find out if they can help. And you can access this link and book your free 30-minute call via the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Bring Your Product Ideas to Life podcast. Practical advice and inspiration to help you create and sell your own physical products. Here's your host, Vicky Weinberg. Today I'm talking to Harjit Sawati Khan from Jeweled Buddha. Harjit works with social enterprises, artists and NGOs and brands to sell ethically handcrafted fashion and homeware for style-conscious women. Her mission is Style Made to Empower, empowering the consumer with high-quality artisanal fashion and artisans with a sustainable income. This is a fantastic conversation and um, I really hope you find it both interesting and useful. Okay, right. So hi Harjit, thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's great to be here, thank you. So can you tell us about your business and what you sell? Yeah, sure. So um, I own a company called Jewel Buddha. And basically I work with social enterprises, NGOs, artisans and some brands as well to sell ethical fashion and homeware for style conscious women. Perfect. Thank you. And so how did you get started with all that bit? Well, first of all, when did you get started and um, what was the story around it? Oh gosh, it must have been about just over six years ago, um, seven actually. Um, and I was working in the city. I had a city job and I was commuting in all the time and, you know, just living that nine to five life that everybody does in London. And it just got to a point actually where I thought to myself, is this all life is, you know, is this all it's about? Because it just, I think when you're working in this, especially if you're working in a big city like London, then um, there's a lot of pressure and a lot of time taken out of your day to commute to work. And I think for me, as I got older, it actually felt as if um, time was running out for me and I wanted to really make the most of um, my life. Um, I'd always wanted to travel as well. And even though I'd been on some amazing holidays for a fortnight or so, um, it wasn't enough for me. I wanted to discover more. I wanted to have more of a purpose in life and, you know, really live rather than just exist. Because I think just having that type of work where it just feels robotic and mundane and you know you go to work you've got your to-do lists and you've got your rehearsed conversations you have in meetings and you sit there and you think I actually really don't like this job um, and I don't think it was the fact that I should have left and got another job and I would have been really happy it was more than that I felt sort of inside I wanted more 
So um, a couple of other things happened as well. My mom felt ill. She wasn't very well and I was caring for her at the same time. And I think everything just got to me and I thought to myself, you know, life is short. So I was 42 at the time, um, or should I say 41 and a half, I'd say, because I spent quite a few months planning what I was going to do before I left. So um, I did that and... um, my husband and I, we quit our jobs and we went traveling for a whole year across South Asia and Southeast Asia. Um, and it was just, it, it was just amazing. It was a huge transformation and it affected us, you know, in such a positive way. Um, I mean, even my husband, even now, you know, even though he's sort of got back into working and everything, he still feels how I feel. So we've got that wanderlust which never leaves us and we're always itching to go away, you know. So it's a lot of people who travel, they feel that way because it never leaves them, you know. So what? Um, so you went away and you travelled for the, a year. So was it during your year away or when you came back that you decided to set up Dual Buddha? Yeah, so um, the first destination um, we went to was Nepal. And it was while we were trekking in the Himalayas, we came and we were descending. We, we came across this lovely village um, where we saw lots of women hand-looming, yak shawls. And I've always been into handmade stuff anyway. Um, being Asian, we're sort of brought up to have our clothes handmade. And I just loved seeing them, you know, weaving beautiful, intricate shawls and um, clothing and it was just so lovely and I didn't know it at that time but that sort of subconsciously planted a seed in my mind and it was very strange because as we were sort of traveling we came across so many artisan communities and I found um, that I sort of went out of my way to see them more really so while we were traveling having a great time you know ticking off our bucket list we just came across these communities and I think sort of six months into it, I started thinking, oh, you know, what am I going to do when I get back home? You know, am I going to go back to work again? And this thing inside me just kept saying, you know, oh, maybe you could start a business. So, um, you know, the whole year went by and we came across these communities. I made a few contacts, um, which started in India. That's where my first collection was launched. So when I came back, I had several months of trying to readjust to life, which was really difficult. Um, and it was, it was the biggest sort of letdown. You know, you come back after an amazing year and everything's the same. People are the same. They're still in the same jobs, but you've changed. And that change can make you feel really alienated and really like sort of left out as if you went to another planet and then you came back again. Um, and, you know, I think I bored people silly when I came back about my travels, you know, because I, I was just full of enthusiasm about life and I was transformed sort of, you know, mentally. Um, And it was just, I think, you know, my friends, a lot of the time, they just had these glazed eyes, basically, after a while. And I thought, actually, I think I'm overdoing this now, you know. Um, So I just started reconnecting with the contacts that I'd made. And that was it. I set up a company and Jeweled Buddha was born. Well, it's an amazing story thank you and um when you were talking about feeling like you know a bit of an outsider I think sometimes you can feel like that just even 
running your own business as well when you first go from being employed to being self-employed I don't know if you had that feeling because I when you said that that's immediately what I thought of before I built up a network of other people who ran their own businesses I I felt like that with my friends and family like a little bit apart because I was the only one sort of out on my own as well so yeah yeah it's so true because especially you know if you're starting off you set up an online business so you're working from home straight away and all that communication that you have with your friends and all that engagement interaction that you have it's just gone you know so you've left you know your job anyway so a lot of the time you know um, those people you'll never see again and you're still with the same sort of friends that you've always had but yes you know running a business from home it's incredibly lonely actually and if you don't have anyone else to sound off to then you know it's it's a very difficult thing and you know when I started I didn't have a clue about anything I'd never run a business I'd never been interested in you know sort of business studies before you know there was a time when I was sort of growing up and at college and uni and stuff everyone was doing business studies you know um but it never really interested me until I started and it was a huge learning curve, you know, to literally wear all those hats, you know, and I'm still doing it now and I still find it incredibly challenging. And although lockdown has happened, everybody else has had to go through that in a way. It's almost the same thing where they're like, right, no office work anymore. You can't go in. You've got to work from home. And then everybody, you know, if they've got kids as well and big families, they have to interact with each other, you know. Um, So, yeah, I I totally agree with what you're saying. You know, it is a very sort of challenging sort of thing to do when you're on your own. So what were some of the steps that you took? So so when you got home, you decided that you were going to set up Jewel Bazaar and you were going to start selling products in these artisan communities. What were some of the practical things you had to do to make that happen? Um, So I contacted the social enterprise in India um, that I'd um, found out about while I was traveling. Um, I mean, that was relatively easy. They were, because they'd met me before, then, um, you know, it was just sort of reconnecting with them. And, you know, they just said, you know, here's some of the collections that we have. And I just had them, you know, sent over. Um, some of um, the collections I've got now obviously they came at a later stage Um, but it just sort of started I think with thinking right I've got to set up a website now I initially started without one and I used to go selling in marketplaces excuse me and um, so you know that was face-to-face selling you know it's it's uh, more profitable really isn't it to do that because, excuse me, because people can, um, you know, sort of see your product. But yeah, I mean, I, I got sort of going quite quickly, but I think it was challenging to actually set up your own website as well. So, you know, finding platforms to put your products on um, and sort of, you know, steps like that are, are quite hard to do at the beginning, especially when, you know, you don't have any experience of what a website should look at. So, I spent a lot of time researching everything. So researching on selling, marketing, everything to do with business, you know, um, just, you know, your accounting, you name it. It was literally just going through each thing and thinking, right, you know, I make a sale. What do I need to do after that? How am I going to promote it? Who am I going to tell? How am I going to get the word out there? So it was all these simple things that, you know, you need to know 
to start off with. And I guess there's also sort of the logistical side as well. So I'm assuming that at the beginning, at least, and possibly still now, you were sort of keeping all the stock, sending it out when you made a sale. Was, yeah. was that what you did first? And is that still what you're doing now? Or do things work differently now? Uh, yeah, it's still what I'm doing at the moment. I still try and keep my costs down. Um, you know, I'd love to get to a stage where, you know, you can have, I wouldn't say a warehouse, <laughs> that'd be a yeah. huge business if I had that, but, you know, a place where you can, you know, store your stock and, you know, get it sent out. But yeah, I still, um, you know, work in that way now. So, yeah. That's, yeah, that's really good. And and talking about stock as well. So how does it work? Do you sort of order directly from um, India and the products get sent to you and then you keep them, then you send them out? Is that is that how it tends to work? Yeah, some of the brands I have, there's, um, I've got one part of my brand, which is uh, the necklaces um, and the sari scarves. They're all part of an upcycled sari uh, range, which I have. So um, I've been to India and visited the artisans, um, which was a really amazing thing to do. Um, so it's good to actually talk um, to these people who, who make your products and see what the impact is you know that you're making when you sell a product so that was a really great thing to do so you buy the products from them and then sort yes. of sell them on yeah yes and so how do you select the products that that you're going to sell because I, you mentioned before that you've expanded your range a bit from when you started so yeah how do you know how, who you want to work with and how do you find you know these amazing products how yeah it's um, again, it's a lot of research. Being an ethical company, um, well, the first thing I'd say is I look at all the sort of fashion trends in the industry, sort of trends that are in at the moment. Being an ethical business um, and not a trend-based business, it's still important for me to know that. Um, and also what I tend to do is I look at what I like. You know, I look at my whole range um, and I think, you know, how can I diversify the range without it impacting on the existing range that I have? Um, so what I'll do is I'll um, look for social enterprises or NGOs and I'll see what impact they're having, um, how they're helping artisans. Um, so a lot of my brand is all about women empowerment. So I try to choose um, social enterprises that um, create products that empower women and also help communities thrive, craft communities thrive, because um, all my products are all hand-loomed and handmade. So especially in India as well, the hand-loom industry is in sort of crisis at the moment. It always sort of in a way has been because, you know, a lot everything's sort of industrialised over there now. So... Um, you know, that's putting pressure on handloom weavers. They're not getting the jobs that they want. And also their children um, are sort of out of financial need, being forced to go and work in, you know, factories and things. So they're not taking up the crafts that have been passed down through generations. So I'm looking for NGOs and social enterprises that are trying to keep those communities, you know, thriving and keep those age-old crafts going. Um, so what I look for is looking at the collections that they have. Um, I sort of look for timeless pieces, classic pieces that I know have longevity, um, are very versatile, they're multifunctional, 
and they're wearable. So, you know, you can buy something from India and you might love it, but sometimes, I don't know whether you've found this, if you've gone on holiday somewhere to some exotic location and you've bought something and you can totally see yourself in it while you're over there and then you come back and you think, oh my God, I can't wear that. You know, so yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I've I've learned that over the you know the years that I've been in business. I, now I really look at my product range with more of a keen eye on: is it wearable here? You know, will somebody wear it? You know, um, I try to go for wardrobe staples that you know again have longevity that are very versatile with existing wardrobes that people would wear over here. You know outfits that people wear over here um, and I look for products that have a story so all um, the collections that I have either have things like canvas stitching which is like an age-old art they're hand dyed you know um, so we've got a range which is the Isajime range and that's based on Japanese tie-dye uh, which was also taken over to India so um, you know, I look at those and I think, you know, they've got a beautiful story to them and they're so, you know, well made, they're high quality as well. Because I think, you know, a lot of people, they have this misconception, maybe it was true years ago, but they had this misconception that in Asia you don't get quality. But these days you do because they've really upped their game over there. They've, you know, expanded globally as a country um and they've really sort of increased their quality of stitching and um sort of craft as well for the western market so it's totally untrue when they say you know if you buy something from india that it's you know bad quality of course you get that market but you know there's so many beautiful things out there yeah and that's uh, yeah i've had a good look at your range and it is beautiful i particularly like the upcycled products so the yeah, scarves really... and the necklaces they're just beautiful and like yeah. you say, you could see that you could totally just wear them with like your everyday outfit. Yeah, yeah that's right. You know, a lot of um, the pieces I have, I see them as outfit elevators. So you could wear, you know, a really simple sort of weekend casual um, jeans, t-shirt sort of combination, but just throw a really beautiful scarf with it. And it really elevates that outfit into something else. So, you know, it's just investing sort of in that one piece, you know, um, which really sort of, you know, you're going to treasure for so many years to come. And because they're upcycled, you know, or they're made from everything's natural. So it's a lot of my stuff is silk. So it's all biodegradable as well. There's no like polyester or anything in there, you know. So, um, yeah, that's that's what I try and do is make these really versatile wardrobe staples. And it's yeah, it's really obvious that you've got a really you sort of keen eye and you know exactly what you're looking for as well, which I think is great, especially when you're sort of sourcing products. Yeah, it's I guess it's good to know exactly what it is you're looking for so that if something doesn't meet your criteria, you sort of know fairly yeah, easily. Because right. I guess you could spend a long time on selecting products, couldn't you? Yeah, it I mean, there's a lot of research involved in it, which can go from three to six months. Um, I mean, a couple of years I sourced um a homeware range. I thought, let's try homeware. Um, so I went all the way to Rajasthan and a lot of the artisans that I work with, um, they're all in remote communities. So basically I was in the middle of the Thar Desert um, with this NGO, which has been around for about 30 years or so. And um, they sort of make everything, you know, that's hand woven. So they hand 
weave these rugs, which originally were um, used by nomadic settlers there. Um, and they're multifunctional. You can use them as rugs, throws, blankets, picnic blankets, you name it. So I really love the work that they did and the impact that they have on the communities. And I know that when I traveled with them through um, the areas of Rajasthan, anyone that, you know, met these people came up to us and they were like, yeah, they're really great. They helped us when there was a huge malaria outbreak. So they help with vaccinations and, you know, they empower women there as well. A lot of village women, you know, there's um, a high rate of um, female deaths, um, child deaths. So, you know, abortions and things like that. So it's, you know, you know, in India, you've still got these really sort of old fashioned, almost medieval type of sort of thought processes, you know, so what they do is they sort of help with social inequality, gender inequality, they educate women, you know, against these things basically. Um, and they help, you know, they help empower women to hand loom as well because it's a male dominated industry and it enables them to earn their own money and be independent as well, you know, so that they gain respect within their communities as well. And, and all that has a, a positive effect on everything. So that was an amazing trip I had. And I actually lived with them for three days, which was amazing because they cook. I mean, they're like chefs, basically. You have a meal with them and they're just amazing. <laughs> and it was like visiting an old uncle, really, because they took me around their family's houses and, you know, they were incredibly proud, you know, that their products were going to go to England, you know. So it was good to actually see the weavers at work, you know. Um, it's a very difficult, you know, trade. It's learned from generations, from grandfathers to fathers to sons, you know, and they have immense pride in what they do. So I love that I can learn about these things. Yeah. And I love just how much you know about your products and where they come from and who's made them. I just think that's amazing. Yeah, you know, the I mean, story about behind the products and the people and the impact they're having. I just think that's just fantastic. Yeah, I think it's, you know, I think to have, you know, you get a piece of textile or something and it's, got all these beautiful designs on it. I love that, you know, I can sell a story as well, you know, and it's a story that has an impact, which I think is really important because I think lockdown has made us more mindful of things. We've not been able to go out and shop like we want to. We've had to make do and, and probably mend <laughs> the clothes that we have at home. We've probably cleared out our wardrobes um and just reused or you know upcycled things and i think it's really important to you know take this opportunity that even though you know covid has been obviously a negative thing it's it has had a positive impact in the fact that i think we appreciate our clothes more than we did before um and i think that's what it's all about really you know it's it's about using what you have um and recycling you know buying good quality clothes that are an investment you know that will you know your treasure because they've got a beautiful story you know that you've made an impact and i think that's what's important is the consumer needs to know that they're the ones that make the change you know we can sell the products but it's the consumer when they buy it they know that they've made a change and that's how they can as a whole change the fashion industry in the way that they're working in terms of fast fashion you know yeah 
That's amazing. Thank you. Um, so I've got a few follow-up questions. I'm wondering where to go next. I think as you mentioned lockdown and COVID, we'll go there if that's okay. Because I'm really yeah. curious as to whether the situation, which has obviously been a global one, has affected your business and your supply chain. Because um, I would imagine that it's been harder to maybe get products sent over from India. So what impact has there been? And what impact yeah. has there been on the communities you're working with as well? I'm really curious on that as well. Like, are the artisans you're working with have they been impacted directly yeah um so take for example the upcycled range of necklaces and sari scarves that i do there a lot of um, the women that make the sari scarves are actually home-based which has been brilliant so they've not been impacted you know they've stayed at home and normally what they do is they get together certain times of the day and they all sit and sew together and they chat and, you know, just have a good chin wag with each other. Um, so what they've done is they've not done that, but they've just continued sewing at home. So even though, you know, the supply chain has slowed down, um, that aspect of it hasn't. Um, obviously with COVID, um, a lot of the other ranges, you know, everybody sort of stopped buying basically. So we stopped um, by bringing in stock anyway. Um, so it's just been selling what we have, you know, in March and the, the following months that happened. So I personally have not been impacted that much, which has been a bit of a godsend, actually. Um, and the rest of the, the artisan chains, they've been OK. You know, they're safe is basically what they're saying. And because they all earn a sustainable wage, they're very lucky because they've obviously um, been able to fall back on you know the money that they have whereas those in you know fast fashion um you know for the brands that have stopped the orders uh, you've probably heard you know on the news and everything like the big brands like h&m or primark you know they literally cancelled orders that had already been made so um garment workers weren't being paid a lot of them obviously suffered from covid because there was no social distancing and no health measures whatsoever so, you know, I'd hate to think what happened to them, basically. So, you know, luckily, you know, we've got a supply chain, uh, which is very forward thinking. Um, and it's really helped the artisans out. So, yeah. Good. Oh, and that's really, it's, yeah, it's really nice to hear a positive story and hear that they haven't been overly impacted. That's, yeah, that's really good to hear. Um, so speaking of sharing stories Harjit this is the next place I would like to go if that's okay with you so I'm rec we're recording this I forget the day but it's September um, you were in the Telegraph on Sunday gosh yes <laughs> yeah I see you've had a lot of press over the last couple of months you know I've been following you I've seen you in the in the press more than once so yeah tell us about that um, so how are you getting the press coverage is that was that part of your marketing strategy to go out there and um share your story yeah i would just love to know all that you've done yeah i think um I, the, the past couple of months have been very busy i was featured in woman and home magazine which was great um a journalist just put out a call basically and said they were looking for women um who had um you know sort of lived their dream in a way or had their dreams come true um, and they sort of hinted that it would be around travel and everything and I thought well yeah that that was my dream come true so I just put myself forward for it 
Um, and because I've, I think I've got really great images, the press look for really good images and a really good story around things. So I really went for it for that one. And luckily I was featured. Um, and then this Sunday, the Sunday is just, that's just gone actually, I was featured in the Telegraph. And that was a similar thing. It's, um, I had that from a, a Twitter request. So people can uh, search the hashtag um, journal request and the you know the media put out a call for things on that um hashtag which is really great you know if you follow it every day and just look out for requests and see if they're relevant to you um you know some things you can just sort of you know um, have an angle around and you can make it relevant towards yourself reply to them really quickly um you know and just put yourself out to be helpful to journalists really because that's what they're looking for you know they're looking for help in you know creating stories so that's how it came about and it was amazing actually the telegraph um feature because i had so many like personal emails from just people saying i'm really inspired by what you did and you were in your 40s when you did it um so i was, I was quite taken aback by it so it's been brilliant because obviously customers have bought lots of things and you know it just has a, a knock-on effect on everything which is great a really positive effect on everything that you do and i think press is one of those things that a lot of people don't actually follow through you know everyone um, sort of tends to concentrate on their social media and you spend hours and days don't you basically you know on social media life just disappears when you're on there but press is really important you know um, and it's just I think time a lot of people don't have the time especially if they're sort of you know working solo so I would really say you know take some time out to um, try and get some press coverage you know and include that in like your your plan for the next three months you know and, and plan ahead as well you've got Christmas coming you know lots of people will be looking for gift guides you know and Christmas gifts for people you know if you can put yourself out there and say hey look I've got this amazing gift it's all wrapped up beautifully it's all done basically you know someone can go online and just buy it it's a really great way of you know sort of promoting yourself thank you no I think I, I definitely agree with you and I'll be honest I've had PR as on my to-do list for years and haven't done a thing about it and I can definitely see the benefits um but yeah it just I don't know like I guess it seems quite daunting speaking to journalists and you also yeah. always worry whether you or your product actually has a story so what are your or do you have any tips for people who are in that same mindset that I'm in of well what would I talk about yeah I mean I still feel that way now you know it's all these mind monkeys that creep in isn't it and they're just like you're not good enough you know somebody else is better than you and especially I think with social media you know you've got all these like sort of amazing pictures of people that look like they're doing well you know but it could be very different behind the scenes you know they probably worked really really hard to get where they want or it's just you know it's things are not exactly what they seem which is what I'm saying you know it's um it's I think you just have to look at how far you've come 
to sort of, you know, pat yourself on the back and say, look, I've come this far now and people have been interested. And, you know, if you've been featured in a national magazine, then it's a really great thing. People are obviously interested in what you're doing and in your story. So it's, you know, try and not think about those mind monkeys and just say, look, this is the objective of what I'm going to do. I'm really going to put myself out there. Okay, thank you. So you think it's really a case of being brave and putting yourself forwards and yeah, I think so. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think what's important is to have a community of women that are on your side. So I love Facebook groups, you know, um, they're so helpful. People eat, you know, help each other. Um, and you get so many tips in those as well. This is how, you know, everybody gets ahead. Basically, this is how we all start from zero and then actually start finding ourselves within our businesses because it's a, an evolving thing, isn't it? I mean, my business, when I started, I look at it now, it sort of makes me snigger, you know, I think, oh my God, you know. But now when I look at it, I think, ah, oh, it's actually becoming something that, you know, I had a vision for, you know, I actually see it like that. So, um, yeah, definitely get help. I would say that, you know, there's lots of, um, stuff on the internet, you know, you can become part of a lot of business groups where there's a lot of very supportive women that can give you tips. Obviously, if you can uh, invest in a coach, um, actually, I forgot to say, actually, when I first started, because I didn't have a clue and I was totally like, you know, zero knowledge about anything, I did find myself a coach. Um, and she was part of a group of women who were sort of in the same boat. And that's how I sort of got started. Because otherwise, you don't know where you're going. It's just a, you know, if you just Google the hell out of everything, it's just a rabbit warren full of information that you can't organize into something that is going to lead you in a focused path. So it's important to do that. So yeah, if you're starting out and you have no clue, you know, find a good business coach. There's loads out there now, you know, there's absolutely loads. And there's one that will resonate with you. I think finding a business coach and a group that resonates with you is really important. Absolutely. I mean, that was my experience as well. Yeah, you said so many things there that really resonate. Um, When I first started, yeah, I found that Google was great, but there was almost too much on Google. You could go down so many rabbit yeah. holes. I've spoken about this before. And yeah, so this is why I'm kind of doing this podcast and um, I created the online course just to help people who know they want to start selling products, but just don't know you know, how to go about it. So yeah. Um, yeah, I will link through to my resources in the show notes for anyone who wants to take a look. And I may not be the right person for you, but I might be. So, you know. Yeah, well, um, I think... I think what you do really well, though, is the fact that, you know, it's, um, you're very methodical in what you're writing. You know, you start from somebody not knowing anything about how to create a product, but they know they want to do it. So it's everything, it's all those questions afterwards that everybody has that you answer, you know, and that's the most important thing. So again, for everybody else as well, you know, whatever business they want to create, whether it's fashion or not, then, you know, finding a person as yourself to you know really focus what they need to do is is super important thank you thank you and I should mention that Ahajit has gone through my course I should mention that as well Um, brilliant thank you this isn't about me this is about you and as I say I might I might be the right person for someone listening I might not 
people won't be offended if not um and the other thing you said that i really resonated was about finding a network or community because i completely agree um it's really tough to do this on your own and i find myself saying this more and more to people now just find some people who are doing something similar to you even if it's not exactly the same business even if they're starting up a completely different business but having someone who knows boat that you're in I think is really helpful because as we talked about at the beginning um unless you've you know your family's entrepreneurial you might be the first person in you know your circle to do something like this and that can feel really lonely and you need someone else who knows what you're going through definitely and um, I also liked what you said about when you looked back on your business and um, sorry you said such a lot of good things I'm having to recap you were talking about when you looked back at how your business was at the beginning compared to how it is now and um, I would just like to say that I think it's fantastic that you just got started and even if you look back now and think oh that isn't quite the business I wanted as you said now you have that business so um, yeah I think it's a really good message to just get started and it doesn't matter if things aren't right you can change you can evolve but if you don't get started you're never going to get wherever it is you want to get to yeah I think a lot of people you know that's why they say a lot of people fail is at the beginning you know because um they just don't really take off you know or there's so many it's it's such a I think having a business is such a brave thing to do I think you know for everybody because it's a very risky thing to do you're giving up secure incomes and you know um so i think to actually take that step forward is brilliant and i think the reason why every business evolves is because finding your customer your right customer the right audience to sell to is the most important thing you know so my audience has changed over the years you know i've gone more to like a a luxury end um and you know once i've realized who my customer is then everything around that is so much easier because you can talk to your customer in in a certain way that resonates with them otherwise you're just you know selling to everybody you'll just it's just not going to happen really and being ethical as well you know my customer is someone who is interested in sort of sustainable fashion handcrafted fashion you know fashion um you know that they might have seen when they've traveled and they love it you know Um, And they've seen something like now it's actually wearable over here. So a lot of, you know, my customers tend to be either working for like um, ethical businesses or, you know, organizations. Um, So, yeah, I think finding your customer um, and talking to your customer in the right way is really important. That's really good advice. Thank you. Because I think, yeah, knowing who you're talking, because what do they say that if you're talking to everybody, you're talking to nobody? I'm sure that's a real saying I haven't made up. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And I think it's also sort of just worth highlighting. um, You you mentioned that your business has been going for nearly seven years. And when we were speaking for a little bit before the call, you were saying, you know, things have really taken off in the last 12 to 18 months. And I think that's also an important thing to share because coming back to things being tough at the beginning, I sometimes think that if people um, don't seek success right away, it's easy to get disheartened. I mean, I've certainly been disheartened at points as well. But um, the more of these interviews I do and the more people I speak to some people absolutely you know their business takes off in the first year and they're doing really well but others it's more of like a slow gradual build up yeah and you know it might take three years might take five years but um 
everybody that I'm that I've spoke to had you know has a business that they're proud of and it's achieving what they wanted it to and um, everyone's got there in their own time scale so I just think it's worth sharing that highlighting that as well yeah but yeah I think it's important because we all sort of you know compare ourselves to others who might be sort of flying basically in their businesses and then you put a time limit on yourself which is it's not reasonable because it also depends on what sort of niche you're in as well you know so um, I mean sustainable fashion is growing you know uh, ethical fashion is growing and, and people are more mindful of it I think it's more of a slow gain you know not that you know ethical fashion businesses out there aren't doing well but you know if you're in a, a real niche niche of things you know it's how your time limit is totally your journey is totally different to somebody else's you know but as long as you keep going and keep doing those consistent things that keep going you know um, and not comparing yourself to other people because it's unrealistic really um, we all do it I still do it subconsciously I try not to do it but um, you know you do sit there and you think oh god you know when am I going to make a million, <laughs> you know? But again, you know, I, I don't want to make a million, to be honest. I, you know, I think my business um, is different in the fact that, you know, I want it, it's, a, it's a purpose, it's a part of me, you know. Um, and going back to the travel, it's, you know, backpacking around Southeast Asia. My backpack taught me, you know, a huge lesson in terms of, you know, I used to buy fast fashion, and just living in the clothes that I had at the time, because I didn't buy any more um, for that whole year. I just existed in those. And I thought to myself, I don't need anything else. I don't need any more than I need, you know, um, and I don't miss it. Um, so it taught me a lot in that way and all the experience of seeing poverty and sort of political upheavals and the struggles that people had in, in developing countries that I visited, you know, really taught me many, many a lesson. So my business is a purpose to me, you know, and my purpose is also to create awareness of sustainable fashion and ethical fashion so that, you know, myself and lots of other similar businesses and consumers, because the consumer is the most important person here, changes the industry, the fast fashion industry, so that they make the changes, they pay their garment workers, you know, more than a living wage you know and if we have to pay a couple of pounds more for a t-shirt then so be it because as a nation we are you know more well off than they are and you know people deserve uh, respect for what they make just like they do over here so in terms of like sort of social equality and gender equality I think it's really important you know yeah and I also think it's great that you've defined what success means to you as well and that it's not just all about sort of the financial side that there are other you know you have other goals as well I think that's yeah I think yeah. you know that's when you you know want to feel fulfilled in your life you know chasing money will never always bring you happiness you know um at the end of the day you run a business so yeah you should you know make money so that you can feed your family and pay your mortgage and do everything that everybody else does so you know that's fine but you know having a creative business and having a purpose to the business you know that brings you joy and happiness and also enables you to travel as well you know once a year when we could <laughs> you know to source things I mean it's it's like my best job you know what else could I ever want in life 
fantastic thank you okay so i want to be respectful of your time but i do have one final question for you before we finish and i know you shared a lot with us so this might be a hard one but what is your number one piece of advice for anyone else wanting to start a products business whether that's in sustainable fashion or anything at all oh gosh i would say if you're just starting off get help because i think from that you know you get um it really helps you on your journey to starting and starting is the most difficult thing, you know, um, having help from mentors um, and other business owners that are either in your field or not is totally invaluable, you know? So um, I, I would say get help definitely and join lots of Facebook groups and support groups because, you know, they can help you, um, you know, down the path that you need really to, you know, make a good go of your business that's fantastic advice thank you and yeah yeah i agree and you absolutely don't necessarily need to pay for help either if that's something that you're not in a position to do as you say there are plenty of facebook groups forums possibly even local groups to wherever you are that you know where you can go along and speak to people and and get loads of benefit as well yeah definitely you know a lot of stuff i've done i've done free you know, um, things like PR, you don't really have to go out and spend thousands of pounds on a PR company. You can do it for free. Uh, maybe it comes to a stage where you're quite successful and you want to hand it over to somebody like a PR company, that's different. But if you're starting, you know, you can do a lot of uh, what they call low hanging fruit, which is, you know, sort of um, actions that get you free or get you notice, you know, get you free sort of um, coverage. So I think, you know, it's, there's so many things that, you know, you can do that don't cost money. That's great advice. Thank you. And yeah, and I completely agree with you. You definitely don't need to do it alone. So yeah, if you're listening and you know, you're, you're just getting started, don't ever feel that you need to do it alone because there are so many people out there that can help and support you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Harjit. Thank you so much for everything that you've shared. So I'm going to link over in the show notes to the Jewel Buddha website and all your social media channels. People can go over and take a look at your products. Um, it's definitely worth doing. They're beautiful. And um, perhaps we'll link to your Telegraph article as well so people can go and read a bit more about you. And um, is there anything I've missed? Is there anywhere else you'd want people to go and look at or anything else you wanted to add before we finish? Uh, no, I think that's it. And and anybody out there with, you know, starting a business, good luck. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Vicky. It's been brilliant. Thanks. You're welcome. I really hope you enjoyed listening to Hajit's story. Uh, you found it interesting and that as always, you found a few things that you could actually take away from it. Um, I would love to know what you think. Um, you can email me vicky at tinychipmunk.com. You can find me on Instagram, Vicky Weinberg Product Creation, or you can rate and review this podcast episode. Um, please remember as well to go and take a look at Hajit's site and look at the beautiful items that she's selling. Um, I really do appreciate anyone who takes their time to come on this podcast and share their story with us. Um, so it'd be fantastic if you can go over and also have a look at what she's doing. And um, while I'm on the subject, if you also have a small products business, whether you are six months in or six years in and you'd like to be part of the show, I would absolutely love to have you. So just get in touch with me. It's vicky at tinychipmunk.com and we can have a chat and see if you're a good fit. Um, never worry, I'm not looking for people who have 
necessarily have you know really well established businesses I think it's also really inspiring to speak to people who are just starting out so um, if that's you I would love to hear from you and that's it for today Um, enjoy the rest of your day enjoy your week and I will speak to you again soon if you've been inspired to start a podcast in 2024, I really recommend my podcast host, Captivate. Captivate were my top pick when I started podcasting four years ago because of how easy it was for a complete novice like me to get started. I've stuck with them for the last four years because Captivate is still really simple to use. They keep adding great new features like the ability to share ads like these and they've just been really reliable. So when you're ready to start your own podcast, you can use the link in the show notes and get a free seven day trial with Captivate.